Uh, it's my, my privilege this morning to, uh, to not be preaching um, because we get to hear from Chris. Uh, a lot of you have probably seen Chris a- around. Um, I, I, I love this. I'm going to actually, I didn't know if I was going to do this or not. I want to read the email exchange <laughs> that, that he and I directly for this. Uh, so he, uh, actually, let me, let me first say this. A few weeks back when we started this series, I've never had this happen before. Chris came up with an outline of a sermon that the Lord has been giving him already on the kingdom of God stuff. It's like, oh my goodness, this is such a, a wonderful overlap. So we've been talking back and forth a little bit about it. Um, but then I, I said, you know, how would you like me to, to introduce you? He says this. How about something like, there's some dude who started coming to church with us. I don't know anything about him, but we're going to pass him the mic because everyone gets to play in the vineyard. Because <laughs> that'll work. But he says, but really, I was part of the pastoral and teaching team at Mid Peninsula Vineyard in the San Francisco area, recently on the leadership team at Antioch Community Church in Raleigh. And now he calls VCHS his home. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that I, I love because that actually does hit on a lot of our, our values about everyone gets to play. Um, but, but yeah, you've, you've been known and known around, <laughs> not just our community, but the vineyard as well. So can I pray for you? Yeah, please. Father, thank you so much for this, man. Thank you for the move of God in his life that's brought him here today. We are grateful as we stand collectively before your open words. We say, speak, your servants are listening. We're grateful, Father, that you are a God who still speaks. We're grateful that you're a God who speaks through uh, the assembly of the believers together. Father, you give so generously. Come, Lord. Pray this name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. <laughs> well, thanks for the intro. Um, <laughs> giving you a week off, letting you re- recover from vacation. Um, for those who haven't uh, met me, I'm Chris. I'm Chris Michaels. Um, you might see my three minions running around at some point. You might meet my wife at a, a barbecue uh, or I get together every now and then. Um, or my dog. If you follow me on Facebook, you'll see <laughs> pictures of my dog. Leah's seen every single picture of my dog. I didn't uh, know you had kids. Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, a little bit about me. I was born in Florida. Go Gators. Uh, I grew up in D.C., uh, went to college in the Midwest, um, had a quarter-life crisis, moved to Washington State uh, for exactly one year. Um, then moved to Santa Barbara, where I met my wife. We spent uh, about 12 years in uh, California. We had all three of our kids out there. Uh, in fact, we were in the uh, L.A. area for six years, and when my wife was eight and, a month, eight and a half months pregnant, I said, we got to move to San Francisco, and so made her unpack our whole apartment, uh, ready to pop any moment. Yeah, she loved that. Um, we stayed there for six years, and we re- relocated here one month and a day after the birth of our um, our youngest. Um, yeah, she loved that as well. Um, and everywhere I've lived in the country, um, I found a lot of different different personalities, right? Um, especially where there's there's the feeling of acceptance or dislike about someone or something. Okay, so in the D.C. area, people told you straight out how they felt. Like that's if you go to Boston, you wear a New York uh, New York hat, a Yankees hat, you'll learn all the different swear words and permutations (laughs) of that. Uh, In the Midwest, you had the Midwest nice, which is uh, passive aggressive apologizing for something you don't like in somebody else. (laughs) In L.A., you're either a part of the scene or you're not. But regardless, you are treated like a disposable commodity. 
uh, in the Bay Area, you just need to work for the right company and have millions in venture funding. <laughs> Uh, and in the South, you have the, the well, the Southern nice, the bless your heart. Like, Josh went to Georgia, bless his heart. <laughs> but, but I found that the church can be like that too, right? So I grew up in, uh, around the country, I got exposed to and grew up in a bunch of different uh, Christian movements. My folks were involved with Maranatha uh, Worship and Gainesville Community Church when, we were, uh, when I was born. We then got plugged into the Assemblies of God in D.C. We drove deep into Sovereign Grace Ministries and New Frontiers International. Uh, and then in 2003, I left the non-denominational church and became Catholic, partly for a girl. Uh, <coughs> but really because what I witnessed in the non-denominational damning of other denominations, right? Pretty much they, I had a church that said, you can take communion with us. But if you pray to, to saints for intercession, you're in the wrong and you don't, you're not welcome at our table, which I found completely antithetical to the premise of God welcoming us to his table, right? It's one communion, one profession of faith, one table. We're all welcome. And through that journey, though, I found I was always drawn to where the spirit was moving. You know, the Catholic church I was in was a very spirit-filled church. The, all the other churches, I mean, the spirit ran rampant through Sovereign Grace and New Frontiers International. The Holy Spirit was always drawing me to community. And that's what I found in the vineyard because the vineyard absolutely embraces not only just the Holy Spirit working now, but it's the kingdom. It's that the Holy Spirit ushers in the kingdom and that that is completely uh, accessible for each of us. It's in the midst. It's showing us a taste of the glory now and what is yet to come. So we're going to talk, we've been on this whole kingdom track and, and um, <laughs> he, he said I come running up with a sermon. You know how sometimes the Holy Spirit whispers, whoops, whispers in your ears and it's like, you know, I, I got a word for you. Yeah, this was slapping me upside <laughs> the head <laughs> because Josh literally said verbatim the opening paragraph that I had written two and a half years ago for the sermon that's been burning in my sermon notes. So we're, we're going to dive into this. So first of all, did you know that the kingdom of God is mentioned more than 70 times in the New Testament and only three in the Old Testament? Only three. That's, that's pretty odd given that there's an entire two books about kings, right? <laughs> so not really because if you think about the culture then, kingship for them or kingdomship was an earthly realm or was understood as something that was completely earthly. But the kingdom of God is so much more. It's not a government. It's not a population submitting to an earthly king. It's how his people submit to the rule and reign of him in their lives and benefiting in his goodness as he cares for his people. It's living in the freedom of the now and the not yet. Okay? If we look at Daniel, Daniel 7.27, God's everlasting kingdom shall not be in heaven, but under the whole of heaven. So why then should we be surprised that God's kingdom would be on earth? God tells us through Moses that, that ancient Israel was a type of God's kingdom and, in fact, could have been his kingdom had they obeyed him. In Exodus it says, Therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me 
a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now, kingdom of priests st stands out for me because if we go to 1 Peter, in the New Testament, it says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possessions so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. A kingdom of priests, a kingdom of people proclaiming not a kingdom of people with power, not a kingdom of people who are sitting there and absorbing the riches and wealth and, and all the land has to give you. No, a kingdom that is sharing the gospel of God. Revelation 5.10, you have made them to be a kingdom of priests to our God and they will reign upon the earth. So we are reigning by ushering in God's glory right? By bringing people into community. And if we're called to be a kingdom of priests, then well, how do people see the kingdom in us is the biggest question, right? How do people see us as Christians and perceive how we interact with the world? Because while we're not to conform to the world, how do people expect Christians to act or behave and how should we be guided, okay? The obvious answer is we model that through Christ. We look at Christ as our head priest and say, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to do as you do. But what does that really mean? I mean, we, we don't walk around the streets wearing our, our um, uh, flip-flops like <laughs> I do right now, um, touching lepers and, and going and healing the sick. We could, but it's not like we do that every day in and out. I believe, though, that he, Christ, explicitly called us to model the commandments and usher people into relationship by modeling it in love. Okay? This is really the heart of it. If you look at Matthew 22, 36 through 40, Christ is sitting with um, a group of people at the temple and, and the Pharisees come to him and say, you know, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus replies, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, right? But the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two com commandments. The simplest answer of how we show the kingdom, how we are a kingdom people, is in how we show and express love. Not, you know, our love and and all the things that I saw in Los Angeles, God forbid that. But no, definitely in how we show God's love to one another, okay? Our outward showing of love. And this is the tricky part. How do I love something or someone that lives or exists in conflict with my personal beliefs, my moral beliefs, my bright line of what is true? Okay, community, and, and you see this a lot within church communities. Community is, we're going to conform, and we're all going to be the same. We're going to be cookie cutters of the same exact thing. And if anything's outside of that, that mold where I cut the cookie, I'm just going to throw it away, right? I'm not going to reform it and make another cookie if I only have scraps. It's scraps, okay? But that's not the way that we love, Okay? In evangelical circles, we often repeat the mantra, love the sinner and hate the sin. I've said it. Anybody else here say it? 
and oftentimes in hating sin, this hits hard often, and oftentimes in hating the sin, we end up hating the person or not expressing love to that person and excommunicating him and pushing them away and saying, you don't belong. You're not going to belong. There's a current trend in the evangelical church that's been known as the exvangelical movement. Essentially, I mean, we all have opinions. We all have political beliefs. We all have stances that might be in conflict with one another. But there are these folks that are leaving the evangelical church often because they are scorned by the church body. It's community or dogma because of those personal beliefs, because of their politics or lifestyles, sexual orientations, gender identities, racial equity, or variety of reasons that we see even on the media today that we say, yes, I want to believe or support something like that. There's a political candidate over here that I want to support, or there's a movement over here, the Black Lives Matter movement, I'm going to support. Whatever it is, the church sits there and says, thumbs its nose at it, and says, you don't belong here if you believe. The church does that. And I'm not saying the, the Pope or the, the senior pastor or the uh, pastoral team or the deacons or whatnot, not the, not the leadership. The body does that. Because again, that cookie cutter, it's hard to avoid that cookie cutter mentality that you've got to conform. You've got to be this perfect little chocolate chip cookie with exactly 23 uh, chocolate chips in it, no nuts. <laughs> or you don't belong on my cookie sheet. I find that the way that we, that that churches do that is a lot like the way that the Pharisees acted. Unconformance means that you can't be a part of it. And that's not based upon freedom. That's not based upon love. That's based upon a focus of sin and a lack of love, a lack of community to say, I'm gonna love you regardless. Because if you look at Romans, Romans 12, 9, Paul writes, let love be genuine. Abhor what's evil and hold fast to what's good. Yeah, we need to abhor what's evil. We need to hate the sin. But love has to be genuine. That's a full stop right there. Love has to be genuine. There's no restrictions on love. There's no restrictions of you know, if you'd only stop doing that, God would love you, so then, then would I, and I'll let you in. Yeah, we want to see a changed heart. We want to see a changed life, but that's not for us to demand. You know, I, I won't tell my kids, I'm only going to love you if you clean your room. Oh, God, if they clean their room. <laughs> I can be angry as heck at their behavior sometimes, but if they come running up to me for a hug, am I going to shoo them away? God does that to us. God does that with the prodigal son. In the, in the parable of the prodigal son, the father doesn't care that you squandered your money, doesn't care that you, you ran off and, and did whatnot with who. You came back running, pleading, saying, love me. And the father says, yes, of course I love you. It's demonstrating love without restriction. We can't put restrictions on who receives God love. We can't do that, Right? So why do we put conditions on who receives ours? 
In fact, Paul reminds us a few chapters before in Romans 5.8. He says, but God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't sit there and say, you got to be perfect before I'm going to die for you. No, you got to be perfect before I make a way for you to come before me. No, while we were still sinners, he showed the ultimate form of love for us, modeled how to love us. If we put conditions on our love, we're not showing love. Maybe like, but not love. I'll tell you this. If we're, if we're modeling love, Christ, if he were to come here t- today, this is going to sound controversial. If he were to come to earth today and walk around and we didn't know it, do you think he'd be sitting here in our midst? Or would he be maybe at a drag bar and at a, or a drag brunch at a gay bar? Why? Because he went to those who needed his love. He went to those with whom he wanted to have a relationship. From the lepers, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the demon-possessed, Christ went to them to show them love. The, the launch pad of this was actually, um, I, I mentioned this this morning in uh, prayer, the launch pad of this whole thing was I, I was, uh, we hosted Robbie Dawkins. Um, if you're not familiar with Robbie, watch a lot of his videos. Um, we hosted Robbie Dawkins for a conference that was a healing conference and teaching people how to pray. And one of the things that he emphasized and drilled in is that when we show love, God shows up. And God shows up because he wants relationship to those people, right? God shows up because he wants relationship um, to everybody or with everyone who is willing to sit there and say, I need you. doesn't matter if they've changed their life. He shows up. Christ says in, in Matthew uh, 6.14, that if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you yours. We forgive and we love regardless. Forgiveness is a way of showing love, right? It's another way of saying, you are you. You've got your own issues. I love you. I'm going to continue to love you. I'm not going to put the restriction. I'm just going to continue to love you. So if we model the kingdom of God, how does that show that the kingdom is alive today? First, it's modeled in in how we form relationship. I'm not saying we're going on dates. (laughs) I'm not, not, you know, this this isn't blind dating. This isn't Tinder for church. (coughs) But it's in how we embrace one another in the family. How if I were to sit there and say, Jessica, come up here right now because I want to love on you in the period of lamentations and pray for you. And sitting here and saying, Josh and Leah, you're Georgia fans. 
But I'm going to love on you regardless of whether the Gators beat you this year. Okay? Whatever it is that pulls us apart at sometimes, you know, or, or um, individuals can be going through, it's how we express community love with one another. It's how we go out these doors and show that the Spirit is alive today. Leah showed a video uh, last week or two weeks ago of the healing of the woman, um, that you know, her, her pain was completely gone. And God shows up there by how we usher others into relationship with God as well, right? The ultimate form of, of somebody accepting or feeling accepted is when they sit there and say, I have nothing left. I'm in a period of lament and I need to be filled. I, I'm lost. I need someone to show me my way. I'm on the highway and I got a blown tire and somebody shows up out of nowhere and helps me out because I'm sitting here saying, God, how do I fix this? I know how to fix it, but yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it's, sh- it's how we love on one another. I'm, I, I sound like a broken record by saying that, but when I was growing up, I had, I was physically and sexually abused by a babysitter, somebody that was entrusted to care for me. And that abuse manifested itself into pain and sorrow and depression and suicide attempts and anger and me abusing my sister. I beat her up to the point that I ended up being hospitalized for 38 days for a psychiatric institute when I was 12. And it was all because I felt like my parents didn't love me. Because if they loved me, they would have never put me in that situation. And I never told them what had happened until I was in the hospital. Six years later. Love is what helped me through that. Because I came home and saw that my parents were sacrificing putting food on the table in order to pay for me to be at that hospital. I came home for a weekend and I saw the depth of their love for me. And almost immediately that weekend, I had a complete 360 or 180. I can't say 360. (laughs) A complete 180 of my perspective because I saw what love was and it was modeled. I saw the extent of my parent, what my parents would do. We went to church and I saw how they went forward for prayer for how they could continue to pour into me because they felt empty from all the effort they were going through. And they were just crying out, Father, we need more. Community, we need more. Love shows up and love is modeled in the kingdom in the, the smallest of ways and in the biggest of ways. Now, I want to share a story. There's a man named Daryl Davis. I don't know if many people know the story. So Daryl was once an inspiring and very successful musician. Um, he played with Chuck Berry, B.B. King, Jerry Lee Lewis, Muddy Waters. But his true fame to, uh, claim to fame comes in a very different way. As a black man, he went out of his way to befriend Roger Kelly. 
the grand wizard of the clan. He spent years building trust between them, laying the foundations on what later became a friendship. They broke bread at each other's table. They welcomed each other into uh, their homes. Davis even went so far as attending clan rallies as a member of Kelly's. But most importantly, he cultivated an atmosphere of listening, of listening to the opinions that were different than his, of listening to the fact that Kelly didn't, uh, that he didn't hate Kelly because Kelly hated him. Instead, he listened to Roger Kelly, and eventually, Roger Kelly started listening to Daryl. This led to the, the two realizing they had more in common than not. And in the end, Kelly denounced his ties to the clan, so much so that he handed his hood and his robe over to Daryl Davis. In total, Daryl Davis has seen over 200 clan members walk away from the clan and hand their ropes over to him. He's a world changer because he replaced hate with love. He replaced separation with acceptance. He replaced blinders on with, I'm going to listen to you. Love conquers hate every time. We love one another into the kingdom. My wife is a, she has a relationship with God, but she hates organized religion. That doesn't stop me from loving her into the kingdom and modeling kingdom love to my family because we love one another into relationship, into the community that we call the kingdom. Now, some might, might expect a lot more time-wise. I'm, I'm always consider myself a fast talker. I grew up on the East Coast, like I said. I talk fast, and there's not much left on, on a page here, but <coughs> I I want us to think a little bit, and, and we'll invite the, the band up for, for ministry time, and I want us to reflect on love. I want us to reflect on how we show love, how we've been shown love, And I want to ask us, have, have we experienced the true love of a father? Have there been walls of separation here in these walls? Have there been walls of separation outside with our families? Have we modeled the kingdom in a ways that shows love to others? Have we sat there and, and said, you're part of a group that I can't get behind. I'm sorry, but I'm not going to talk to you. I'm not going to listen to you. Are there relationships that we've cast aside? Are there people that we've ignored because we failed to first remember to love? My folks, and I, I just remember this, my folks growing up, my mom cut hair. My dad was a, a, doc, a PhD. And my mom, <coughs> one of her colleagues, was a gay man named Tom Ridley. And Tom had a partner named Jerry. Yes, it was Tom and Jerry. <laughs> and they would often invite us into our house. They would watch my sister and I when uh, my folks wanted a date night. They were close to us. 
And because our church was so focused on the doctrine of sin and not the doctrine of love and, and freedom, there was a day where my mom pulled Tom and Jerry aside and said, we can't be friends with you anymore. Can't love you. Can't be around you. Your lifestyle is too much. They put blinders on and that broke their hearts because their life was different. Their lifestyle, their choices. Both of them grew up in the church. Both of them profess that, yes, we love God. Yes, we believe in Jesus. We, we have this lifestyle. But yeah, we believe. And that wasn't enough for my folks. That wasn't their place to sit there and say, we can't be friends with you. That was a place for us to sit there and love on them. So when we, when I ask, do we model the love of Christ? Do we model the church as something more than just this place that kicks people out? I'm asking, are we showing God's agape, all-encompassing love over anybody while they are still in sin? While we are still in sin? If the answer is yes to any of those questions, if you have been, have felt cast aside, pushed aside because of something in someone in your life that they didn't show love to you, they didn't model that love, I want to pray with you. I know our ministry team wants to pray with you. If your love cup needs to be filled so that you can pour out to others, let's fill it. Because the kingdom is not about empty cups the kingdom is not about isolation. The kingdom is about love and community and praying in lamentations and praying when it's rough and praying in disagreement and saying we are coming together as one family, as one voice, as one body. 